Well, hey, how's it going? It's good to see you guys. I'm really excited to get the chance to uh, be with you today and have heard so many amazing things about the stuff that's been happening at Arbor, your incredible facility, and just got to see the children's ministry areas and all those kinds of things. And I just got to tell you, stories are circulating about the amazing things that are happening here at Arbor, the way God's moving, and um, why I know so many of you play such a key part in that. And so uh, thank you for your hospitality. I was really grateful when Jake asked if I could come over and, uh, and fill in uh, this week and just honored for the opportunity. As Garrett said earlier, uh, my name is Jonathan Wolfgang. I'm on staff over at North Shore, been over there for about seven years and um, had the chance to work with both Jake and Garrett and, of course, a lot of familiar faces in this room for, uh, for a while there at North Shore. So thank you for your hospitality and for, um, for having me over. It's, uh, it's really good to see you. Uh, I was talking with Garrett earlier. We were, you know, obviously he's celebrating the arrival of his new little one. Many of you know that, that he is fresh off a little bit of a paternity leave um, with, uh, with his little boy, Shepard, which I thought was sort of a cool thing. Uh, given the season, what I understand, the finalist names for them were either Shepard or Magi, kind of given the time of year. So I think he chose the nativity scene character well. I believe that worked really well. So, because Magi Brooklyn just doesn't roll like Shepherd Brooklyn, right? So anyway, congratulations to them and a uh, very cool, exciting season I know in their lives and obviously uh, in the church's life as well. So um, I don't know if you've ever received uh, through the years a gift that just was disappointing, like one that you were sort of hoping for and the person you asked to get it for you, they sort of tried, but they missed to the level that you were bothered, like they're just terrible at it. I'll be straight with you, my family, pretty lousy gift givers. And anything I tell my parents I would like, generally speaking, they get it wrong, all right? But it's always just wrong enough to not be able to tell them they got it wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, we could talk about that at great length, but I've, I apparently picked this up from my family because kind of down, uh, down the line, I, a few years ago, well, it's actually many years ago now, I was dating this girl that I really liked and really wanted to impress, and so I saved up all this money, wanted to get her something extra nice, and so the big gift that I got her one Christmas was a frying pan, <laughs> like a really nice frying pan, right? But guys, if you are in the dating world, generally speaking, kitchen cookware is not the most romantic gift at Christmas, all right? But even though the frying pan did not last very long, the relationship did. And uh, last fall, that girl and I celebrated 21 years of marriage. So, uh, so let that be, well, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. But let this be a lesson to you, my friends, those of you who are single and may be interested in not being single. Um, you can still mess it up and be okay, all right? So that's the lesson for today. Let's close in prayer. So no, no, there's more. I have some more things I want to talk about. But um, uh, it can be no, hard to know exactly how to respond. When someone maybe is really excited about giving you something, but then you open the gift and you realize, oh, and your acting kicks in where you have to sort of pretend that you're really excited about whatever it is that you receive. Well, maybe you've seen Jimmy Kimmel came up with an idea um, to actually stage sort of uh, pranks from parents on kids where they would intentionally give them gifts. So apparently being able to fake it is an acquired skill over the course of your life that they will pick up eventually. Most of us have. And yet, sometimes gifts still come that don't go over terribly well. And in the story that we're going to talk about today, there is a young girl who received a gift that she had to choose how she'd respond. And some, given her circumstances, would have said, this is not the kind of gift you want. This is a deeply unwanted gift. Because here's this young lady. She's just about to start her life. Her entire future looks so bright, so promising, but everything changed one day. 
when she's told of a gift that she's going to receive, a gift that will disrupt her life, it'll cause her all kinds of problems in reality. And yet, when we look at how she responded, we find so much about what it looks like to respond when things don't go exactly as you expected they would, what it looks like to respond to those circumstances with a sort of trust and calm and peace. Because isn't that what everybody's looking for? I mean, couldn't you use a little bit more of that peace in your life, regardless of the circumstances you're in, regardless of whether you're in a season that you're filled with joy or a season that is filled with struggle. All of us long to find that place, develop that skill, that ability, that experience of peace in life. It's one of the things I loved watching that video just before the message, not the Jimmy Kimmel one, which as much as I enjoyed that, but the one before, that image, scenes of the of the Christmas story told in a little more raw and rough fashion than we typically see in the sort of sterilized version that gets passed around in our culture. You can see in their face the worry, the anxiety, the pressure that comes, the intensity of what it was that they were experiencing. Of course, the girl I'm talking about, you know, is Mary. And in this Emmanuel series, talking about how God was with her. And the good news is this, or the gift that came along is, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And this baby will be unlike any baby the world has ever known. And some of you are parents. Some of you are expecting, I know there's a number of folks here at Arbor that are expecting children. Very exciting season. But I remember the stress of hearing the news that my wife was going to have a baby all those years ago. I mean, whether, whether it's something you're hoping for and you wanted this to happen, or whether it's sort of a surprise or bonus baby, however exactly that plays out, there's still a level of stress that kicks in once the initial shock wears off. This realization of just how much life is going to change. Just, just this desire to try to do everything right. Like, we got to get ready. We, the stakes are so high. Well, that's one thing for all, each of us. Can you imagine how much higher the stakes were for Mary? I mean, in that day, let's be honest, this was a dangerous thing to have a child. Just medically speaking, many people died in childbirth. It was dangerous, real risk. Oh, and by the way, you have to raise God right? Here you are, a middle-aged, or middle-school-aged girl, not middle-aged, middle-school, middle-school-aged girl, a first-time mom, he's God, so do a good job, all right? No pressure. Of course, there's more, though. We know these elements of the story. When Gabriel came announcing that Mary was going to have this child, there were all kinds of reasons that she would step back and say, this isn't what I wanted in my life. You remember, she's engaged to Joseph, but they're not yet married, and she goes in this moment from being a young bride who's excitedly preparing for her wedding, looking forward to that big moment, to now a pregnant teenager. Not sure what the future holds. Unmarried, but with child. And of course, she's not read the rest of this story. She doesn't exactly know how this is going to play out. This is not good news in that sense. I mean, how would her fiancé respond? What would he say? Because according to Jewish law, not only did he have the right to sort of send her away, I mean, she, had the, she could be executed for this in that time, in that culture. And for sure, even if she survived, surely the level of gossip and, and things at the local well, the rumors and speculation that would fly around. After all, Nazareth, where they live, that's a small town. And small towns are the same that day as they are today. Word has a way of traveling. 
In fact, even later in his life and ministry, people mocked Jesus. They said, at least we know who our father is. So reputation begins to be formed here. How people understand or see you in this little town. And there's more. If indeed this baby is to be someone special, some sort of ruler or leader or whatever, that could mean their lives are in profound danger. She knew who it was that sat on the throne politically at this time. Someone who was notorious for his jealousy and brutality, King Herod, another element of the story that many of us know. He would not be happy to hear about some potential rival who had been born. And as you know, Sure enough, his response was horrific. And as a result, Mary, Joseph, this young baby, they wind up having to flee. She begins married life as a new mom and a refugee. Far from home, far from family, far from familiar language and culture and people that she loves in a strange country of Egypt. The whole script of Mary's life changed in this instant. Here's this wonderful, faith-filled girl who expected this quiet life, married to a carpenter in this small town when everything changes. There's plenty to worry about. You talk about stress. How will she react? How would you react? Because some of you know what it's like to have your script changed in an instant. You know what it's like to get bad news or challenging news or news you're not sure how to process and what to do with. Maybe sitting here today, you've got a lot to worry about. Finances or health or family issues, work stuff. I mean, maybe it's something minor. Maybe it's just the extra stress of the season. Maybe it's trying to find the right gift, fighting your way through the parking lot at the mall, preparing for house guests, maybe some travel you have to do. Or maybe, maybe it's something actually very big. In fact, maybe you'll look back and you'll remember 2017 forever as the year of the diagnosis. Or maybe the year of the divorce. Or the year of the accident. Or the year of the layoff. Or the year of the funeral. Whatever it may be. How do you respond when the script get changed, gets changed in ways you didn't expect? What I want to talk about today are the two ways we generally respond to this stuff. And then I want to challenge you to choose. Talk about what it would look like to build this habit and practice into our life. All inspired by the incredible example of this remarkable young woman. Because when you boil it down, there are really only two ways to face those kinds of things. One way is to sort of start with that experience and have that define everything else. You might call this, let's say, like a, the bottom-up approach where you base your perspective, how you view your life, purely on the circumstances you're in. And so when your life is good and things are going smooth, well, then God's good. He loves me, and I like him. But when things are bad, when things don't go well, well, then I'm not so sure about his goodness. You start to wonder, is there really a God? And if there is, maybe he's far away. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he's not actually all that good. Or maybe he just doesn't have the power to actually be trusted, to help me, to protect me from these challenges in life. So the result is, when we kind of come at this from a bottom-up standpoint, when our experience dictates how it is that we see God, you begin to see your feelings, your experiences, your struggles, they sort of get projected on him. You begin to think, wait a second, maybe he can't be trusted. Maybe I want no part of him. Maybe I don't want him in my life. 
and you begin to walk away at the very moment that you need him most. I have so many friends who that was their response when crisis hit in their life. Because everyone had always told them, just listen to your heart. Just listen to your heart. But their heart led them down paths of worry and anxiety and fear and uncertainty in everything they used to believe. And maybe some of you are there right now. And as you look into this new year, as you face an uncertain, unclear, possibly frightening future, no idea what exactly gonna, what's going to happen. Maybe you're scared that you're going to have to face that alone. And this is how so many people find themselves overwhelmed, stressed out. It might be big things, it might be little things. But stress, worry, defines their lives. I talked with someone after last service who just came down and said, that's me. Worry defines my life. The other way to live, though, a very countercultural, revolutionary way to live, let's call this the top-down approach. And this is trusting, beginning with who God is, who he says he is, what the Bible reveals about who he is and how he works. It says, living top-down begins with trusting that he is good, and there is something he's doing, and he can be relied upon, and through that lens, seeing the struggle and pain that is so characteristic in all of our lives. See, when we do that, we discover in his word that God is good. He made a good world, and yes, it's been corrupted, it's been broken by sin, my sin, other sins, but even in the face of this brokenness, God doesn't just turn his back and walk the other way. It's the good news of Christmas. He steps into the mess. This is what makes Christmas so glorious. He steps into the mess of this world in a completely unexpected way. And through his son, Jesus, he begins this process of restoring his creation, making all things new. When we say Jesus is Emmanuel, that's what we're saying. God with us. It's three words in Hebrew. Im anu el. With us God. Pushed together is that beautiful word. Im anu el. God with us. So when we're suffering, when we're anxious, when we're frustrated, the response is not to say where did he go. It's to remind ourselves. Im anu el. God is with us. You are not abandoned. And that doesn't make the pain any less. It just gives your confidence, your peace, your strength. It gives you what you need to endure and persist. To run to God, not run from him. How many stories in my own life or in God's word, how many stories do we see of people who thinking they could handle things themselves? I've certainly done this again and again. Facing challenges, I've got to take action here. I need to make this about me. I've got to figure out how to fix this, how to solve this. And it's led me down paths I never wished I'd gone down. And then others we see in Scripture and even moments in my own life where in the middle of intense pressure and stress, we find ourselves turning to God, saying, God, what do you want to do? How can you lead me through this? I'm afraid I need you. And maybe that's a prayer you need to say today. To go beyond even that, to be able to say, I, I experience joy and peace, not because these circumstances are not awful, they're awful, but because you're good and you can be trusted. Which, of course, brings us back to this unwed pregnant teenager in a rural Jewish village, facing all kinds of stress, the script of her life completely rewritten in a moment, and Mary has to decide, how will she respond? 
And you know what she does. Instead of being paralyzed by fear, instead of saying, I don't want this, give it to someone else, instead of being overcome or overwhelmed, tempted to doubt, she instead responds with what? With worship, with joy. You see, top-down living on display. Because remember, when Gabriel comes, this angel, and he says, you're going to have a child, of course, at first, she's like, this doesn't make any sense. How can this be? Don't you know how this works? Maybe it's different with angels, but with people, there's certain things that have to happen for there to be babies. That hasn't happened. And the angel says, oh, I know. God, the Holy Spirit, will cause you to become pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God, he says. And then what does she say? How does she respond? Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. The inspiration for the Beatles song, quite literally. Let it be. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comforts me. Her example. Let it be. As you say, Lord. So in the wake of this response, Mary writes the original Christmas song, long before Justin Bieber released his Christmas album, long before Nat King Cole put his out, even before David Hasselhoff released his. Yes, it exists. You can look it up. You want to buy it, it ain't cheap, I'll warn you. But it's available on eBay. But long before any of those songs came out, Mary pens the original Christmas carol, celebrating the arrival or upcoming arrival of this child. And those of you who grew up in other traditions, you may know how it's referenced. It's called the Magnificat. You've heard of that? It's this beautiful song called the Magnificat because in Latin, it begins with that word, my soul magnifies. My soul exalts the Lord. Magnificat. It's because she magnifies the Lord. Everybody's soul magnifies something. It's part of being human. To to magnify something is to give it a large, special place in your life. Maybe it's something you want. It's all you can think about. You magnify that in your life. One of my favorite Christmas stories, some of you may have heard me share it before. It's absolutely my favorite Christmas story, so bear with me if you've heard it. It's a little boy who desperately wants a bike for Christmas. So badly, in fact, that he's not going to ask Santa for it. He's going straight to the top. He writes a letter to Jesus asking for this bike. And he sits down in his room at his little desk and begins to write this note. Dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year. Will you please give me a bike this Christmas? But just as he finishes writing it, he looks down and realizes there's no fool in Jesus. Truth was, he wasn't a very good boy this year. So he has to come up with another approach. He balls up that note, throws it away, sits down to begin to write again. Dear Jesus, I tried hard to be a good boy this year. Would you please give me a bicycle for Christmas? But again, he realizes as he sees the paper in front of him, he didn't even try. It was not a good year for this little guy. So he balls that note up as well, throws it away, and sits trying to think, what in the world is he going to do when suddenly the light bulb goes on? Excitedly, he jumps up from his desk, runs down the stairs, goes to the family Christmas tree, and underneath is the family nativity scene. You know what the little figures of the Christmas story? He grabs the little figurine of Mary, runs back upstairs, and shoves that little statue underneath his mattress. And he sits down to write one final note. Dear Jesus, I have your mother. If you want to see her again, make sure there's a bike under the tree this Christmas, right? Because when you want it, you'll do anything, won't you? 
And when you don't have it, just something feels like it's missing. It's magnifying. What are you magnifying? What is that thing you think will make you happy? You'll do just about anything to get it. Everybody magnifies something. Your, your mind wanders to it when you have nothing else to think about. Your desires are built around it. Your identity is sort of tied up in it. Your joy and sorrow, they're all based on whether you're getting more of it or less of it. It's just part of the human condition. An alcoholic magnifies the bottle. A workaholic magnifies success. A worrier magnifies problems and obstacles and what-ifs in their life. Some people magnify money. Some people magnify sexual experience. Some people magnify the approval of others. That's what they're obsessed with. Some people magnify security. All of us magnify something. What do you magnify? Well, Mary magnified the Lord. That's where her mind went to. And here's this song, spilling out of this deep faith, this deep confidence that even in the face of this unexpected turn in her life, God was not abandoning her, that he could be trusted and he was good. And so she writes this beautiful poem, this beautiful song, the Magnificat, in Luke 1, verses 46 and following. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies, same word, the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remember, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. I mean, you begin to study this, you begin to look at this, and you quickly discover Mary is not your average middle schooler. She's a special girl. And these words are written by someone who knows God's word. I mean, she, this God is. I mean, if you begin to break this down and study it in more depth than we have time to do today, you begin to see she's echoing for Samuel, Psalms, prophets like Habakkuk or Isaiah, ancient writings like Deuteronomy and Ezekiel and Job, and even more than that. In some ways, she's compiling a catalog of the character of God, sort of reciting, rehashing who he is and what he's done. He's holy. He's a savior, she says. He's merciful, she says. He's just, she says. As if she's reminding herself. And so in the face of a stress-filled rewriting of the script in her life, in the face of so many unknowns, Mary magnifies God. She reminds herself God is with her, Emmanuel. And God is big enough to handle even this. And so instead of just trying hard not to worry, what does she do? She replaces that worry with something else. She puts in its place worship. She puts in its place an acknowledgement of who God is. 
And she doesn't just reference the stress in her own life. She's talking about the big stressors, the pains that everyone feels, the injustice of the world, the oppression of our time, the brokenness of all that is around us. All those things that can seem so overwhelming when we turn on the news or read through our news feed or whatever it may be. She says God's even greater than all those things. God's bigger than any of it. Immanuel, God is with me. I have nothing to fear. So when you see those things, how do you respond? Now, it's natural to feel some anxiety, a little angst around that stuff. When we come face to face with some issue, some threat, some challenge, it's absolutely natural for worry or anxiety to kind of pop up. But keep in mind, worry's just a prompt. Worry's just a moment where you decide what you're going to do, how you're going to act. So the key question is, will, not, will you feel anxiety? Of course you'll feel anxiety. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. It happens. Don't be surprised. The question is, how will you respond to that moment of worry, to that little, that little gut check where you say, oh man, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Do you take that and stew on it, obsess over it, and follow it down that trail of worry? Or do you take that, replace it with something else? Yeah, this is scary, God. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm actually really scared. And yet, as scary as this is, I believe you're even greater. That this doesn't scare you at all. And so I lean on you. Because I don't have what it takes on my own. It's an incredibly freeing place to be. To learn to say, I don't have what it takes on my own, God. I need you. Many have learned that lesson and left behind wisdom on how to experience it. One of them, of course, is the Apostle Paul in the classic text in the Bible on worry and anxiety. You remember what he says, some of you that know this letter. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Not written by a guy sitting on a beach sipping pina coladas, but a guy with soldiers chained to both arms because he finds himself in prison for telling about this Jesus. Rejoice, he says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says this, the Lord is near. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, yes, Everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, here's the result of that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it defies explanation, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Another way to put this, you can either listen to your heart as it freaks out, or you can talk to your heart. As Paul says somewhere else, you can take every thought captive and choose where your mind will go. Because your heart will naturally kind of go wherever it wants to go. How in the world am I going to get through this? What do I do if I lose my job? What if my marriage is in trouble? I can't find a date. The doctor gave me bad news. My career's not working as I wish it would. How am I going to pay for Christmas? My in-laws are coming next week. On and on and on. And if you listen to your heart, you'll get caught up in that. Mary certainly could have done that, right? What will I do if Joseph rejects me? How will my me? What will the neighbors say? What if I mess it up? What if I don't raise him the way I should? What if something happens? How are we going to survive? These are things she could have lingered on. And instead, what does she do? She talks to her heart. 
She reminds herself of God's faithfulness because these worries will pop up. Be ready for it. Expect that things will not go as expected. David talks about this in Psalm 42, a well-known psalm where he says, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed? Why so worried, essentially? Remember what he says? Put your hope in God. He's talking to himself. He's reminding himself. Why so downcast? Why so worried? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, heart. And it may seem like this just comes naturally for these folks, like they're the non-worrying type, but I'm the worrying type. But friends, let me assure you, this is something you learn, you practice, you develop. This doesn't come naturally. You develop this by recounting and reminding and pushing yourself to recall those truths to linger on those. You see, in this song, Mary is talking to her heart and she's reminding herself who God is, that he can be trusted. She replaces worry with worship and then she reminds herself what God has done. She replaces worry with history. Do you see in that text in Luke 1 all the things she recounts of the way God has worked, the way he's proven himself faithful, that he can be trusted? He did it in the past. I trust he'll do it again. He goes all the way back to Abraham. You'll remember God gave Abraham a miraculous child, Isaac. God kept that promise, and she's following that same God, she's reminding herself. We follow this same God, the same one who kept a promise to Abraham, the one who kept a promise to Mary, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And this challenge may be new to me, but this is not something God has never seen before, and he could be trusted back then, I can trust him now. God has not been caught by surprise. So instead of listening to my heart, I will talk to my heart. And Mary does just this. She replaces worry with worship. She replaces worry with history. She chooses joy and peace in the midst of stress. My soul will magnify not my problems, but the Lord. Because you know what happens when you magnify God? When you focus there, you begin to become reminded that as great as those problems and worries and stresses may seem, and they're serious. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm trying to upplay how great he is. Because, yeah, that stuff's overwhelming, but can I tell you, he's even greater. That's what Mary's song is all about. Because everything gets put in different perspective when you magnify God. Problems look different. Fears begin to fade, worries get smaller, anxiety about the future begins to change. When you recognize that God is with us, Emmanuel, he is for you. That he has come as an infant to this unwed teen from the boonies because he loves you. And when you embrace this idea that this little boy grew up to teach about a new kind of life, to model a new kind of life, that that's all part of this big search and rescue and heal mission that this God is on to help you find your way back to him. When you begin to realize that God's plan is to step into the brokenness of this world and to invite you to a new life, to reorient whatever you experience through the lens of his goodness and his grace, when you begin to grasp that, this beautiful truth that nothing is impossible with God, that he's greater than anything we can face, and that he knows your name, he knows your pain, He knows your fear. He knows it all. And yet, Emmanuel, he is with you. He is with us. When that happens, then the joy enters, the peace enters, the hope enters. You say, you make it all sound so easy, Wolfgang. That just sounds so trite, so simplistic. 
Have you tried it? Are you practicing it? Because this is the song that Mary sang. What song are you singing? Woe is me. Nobody knows. Is it that one? Or is it a song of joy? A song of faith? Maybe it's memorizing this passage in Luke 1. I will magnify the Lord and beginning to practice. Not listening to your heart, talking to it. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God. Replace worry with worship. Worry with history. Remember what he's done. Because the same God who is with Mary, Emmanuel, the same God who is with you, Emmanuel, he can be trusted. So let me ask you, what would that look like just this week? To live bottom up instead of, to live top down, I should say, instead of bottom up. To learn to talk to your heart instead of just listen to it. Would it be to sit down and reread this passage when you got a little time or can create some time this week to just soak on it and say, God, I could almost write this myself because I can look back and see the ways you've been good and I'm going to hold on to that no matter what 2018 brings. To instead of saying, why me, God? Saying like Mary did, let it be, Lord. Let it be. So we know what Mary sings. What about you? Let's pray.